Well, good evening. Filling in for Brother Larry. He was on his way when I last talked to him. He did get to his destination, but he had to stop along the way and rest when he got gas. So he definitely is feeling under the weather and it just seemed to progressively get worse. Would covet his your prayers as well as for his wife uh, Wanda up there as they're serving the Lord in Sorrento or Central Florida. So we were visiting our questions. Well, there is one addition as well. Um, what we'd like to do is to look at these three questions, and um, I think it would help. Uh, we haven't done this in the past, but as they actually put the question up there, these at least two of them are a little lengthy, so you can actually read them yourself. If I breeze through the question really quick, which I'm probably sure I have, and you didn't quite get it, and then I start talking about it, and you're like, what is he talking about? Well, you can look at the question, and you can know what I'm looking at, and hopefully we can uh, attempt to answer it with the Lord's help. And I remind the brothers of the format of the meeting. is This is an open um, session. As it were, I will give introductory thoughts about the question, and if there's any comments or questions or clarification, uh, we can look into those at any time. Okay, so looking at our first one, right here. All right, Jason's going through it, but you can turn to, first one you want to turn to is, somebody can turn to First Timothy. And I'll need somebody else to turn to Romans chapter. Is it up? Oh, there it is. Romans chapter 5. Somebody turn to Romans chapter 5, but also 1 Timothy. Okay, so the question reads, was Adam deceived in the garden? And that's a reference to the Garden of Eden. This is Adam of the first man. This is not another Adam. So was Adam deceived? Okay, so 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14. Who would like to read that nice and loud? One of the brothers that has it open, maybe Tim. Do you have it open to it? 1 Timothy 2.14. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... 1 Timothy chapter 2, the Holy Spirit shed some light that Adam was not deceived, but it was the woman that was deceived. Okay, in, in Romans chapter 5, so what exactly happened? Something happened there, right? Well, Romans chapter 5, if you're there, um, looking in verse, there's a couple verses here. Um, verse 12, Therefore, just as through one man's sin entered into the world, and death through sin, so death passed through all, uh, to all men because all have sinned. Okay, so one man sinned. And from that, we were hearing that this morning, there was a, a transmission throughout the entire human kind, as it were. Sin has been passed on. From sin, there came death. Okay, um, looking at verse, same chapter. Uh, 17, for if by the transgression of one death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance and grace of the, great, of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Christ Jesus. Okay, there's one that death came, but there's one also that will come, or he has come, that life we can get to. 
Verse 18, So then as one transgression, there result in condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness, there resulted the justification of all men. For as one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Even so, through the obedience of one, the many will be made righteous. So was Adam deceived? The answer to that from Scripture, what I see, is no, the woman was deceived. Adam transgressed. And the idea is, is from, um, from those um, verses, while it doesn't expressly say, you know, the interaction, it was just he, she gave the fruit, which was commanded not to be eaten. She gave it to her husband, meaning Eve, after she was deceived. Um, Adam transgressed. The idea of transgressing is when you see a sign that says do not enter, you say, oh, well, that's great. Well, I'm going to hop the fence and go over anyways. That's transgression, willingly going over. Okay, So Adam uh, was actually a transgressor from his sin uh, passed upon uh, the situation that we're living on now. But the Lord Jesus Christ has righted those things through his death. We learned that this morning. Uh, is there any comments on that? clarification okay number two in light of scripture one reference of which is Romans 2 29 when it speaks of Israel of Israel of God in Galatians 6 16 is this not true is this not the true church that Paul is speaking of okay so it's a complex question it refers to two different parts in the Bible, one is Romans 2.29, and I'll read it right now since I'm right into it. It says, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly. The circumcision which is of the heart by the Spirit is not the letter, and his praise is not for men but from God. And then over to Galatians, where we get our phrase, the Israel of God. Those... 6.16 of Galatians, and those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel God. And so anytime that you come to anything in Scripture, I think we've talked about this before, is when, when we come to um, the Holy Spirit is the one who instructs us in all truth, right? So when we come to certain things in Scripture, well, what does this mean? What does this mean? I don't quite understand this. This looks to be maybe a contradictory statement. Well, we ask the Lord, right? And the Lord gives us guidance. Sometimes he does use men. Sometimes he uses different means. But the ultimate source of truth is the Lord, right? And so when we come with an open mind, right, there's two parts. I could sit in my classroom, um, which I will be in on Tuesday, and the teacher could be telling us about um, maybe some project board or some certain way of programming in a language, PHP, and I say, well, that's great, but I'm going to program in this language to get it done. right? So the knowledge that was transferred that day was not received by me, even though he said it. So sometimes we approach Scripture that way. We'll say, here's I want to learn, but I have this already in my mind that I think this is what it means. right? And I have these presuppositions about certain things, and I have doctrines I need to fill. So... Some of these things can get in the way when we, when we approach Scripture. And why I say that is that there is a, um, there's a thinking out there and there's a doctrine, as it were, that states that Israel, now this doesn't expressly say this, but this is the, the amount that I'll touch on it, but that the church has replaced Israel in the sense 
of everything that Israel was promised, the church has become that. And their key bread and butter verse is this, is Galatians 6.16. There's also other ones that they'll quote to you. Um, they will probably refer to Romans 2.29. But is the Israel of God the true church? Well, there's a couple things we want to look at. Let's just, without first looking at the context, we'll jump back to the context and look what it means. But let's look at some different things. Israel in the New Testament. How many times is it actually referenced? Well, it's used, if you look at Israel, the word Israel, it's actually used 78 times. Now remember, we're looking back at this question, is the Israel God and not the true church? Is Israel God the true church? So when we look at the word Israel, 78 times. Now, I said, I was actually back there with Jason looking to change it. I said all. When we look at Israel, because of course it does say Israel here, but it's referring to something else, Israel of God. But the word Israel, when we find it in the New Testament, it's referring to a group of people, ethnic Israel. We just heard about Israel today. Um, this is a moment ago from my uncle, right? That's Israel, right? So 78 times when we look in the New Testament, when we look at Israel, it's referring to a group of people, ethnic Israel. Um, that's one thing to note of this. So what is this Israel of God? And then Romans 2.29, which the question refers, the Jew inwardly. Well, oftentimes um, Paul, being one uh, who came from that uh, um, background of Judaism, he would separate those who will, you know, there was a governing body of religious people who were uh, walking around and teaching, right, from the Scriptures, but were farthest from God as possible. They were called Pharisees, right? And, and even the Lord Jesus confronted them and says, you think you have eternal life, but you search the Scriptures. You know, you search the Scriptures. Then the Scriptures, while they were reading it, they were missing the whole point of God. So there's those who are outwardly uh, present themselves to be of God, but... Uh, inwardly they are not. And so oftentimes Paul will use these examples. Even in this book of Galatians, he talks about the Jerusalem of above, right? He's making a reference of Jerusalem below. He talks about the two sons of Abraham. One is of the flesh, being um, Ishmael. One of promise, being Isaac. He's separating these two, making a picture for us. There's a reference to us to understand that one being of the flesh has no promises, is not an heir. The one that is coming from, uh, the one that was promised by God that uh, was enacted, which God enabled Sarah to have a kid, which no human, uh, no human, um, there was no human effort involved. It was all of God. That was the heir of promise. And so a lot of times, Paul will use this, the Holy Spirit through Paul will differentiate between these two uh, groups, right? Those who are promised, those who are not. And when we come to this chapter, or this particular section, if we look at the, the actual context, it says, let's look at the verse before, it says, uh, two verses before, so uh, 13, for those who are circumcised don't even keep the law themselves, but they desire for you to be circumcised, and they boast in your flesh. May it never be that I should boast, except of the cross of Jesus Christ, even though the world which has been crucified to me and I to it. For neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. That's our key phrase, new creation. But those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy upon them and upon the Israel of God. Okay, so the new rule is those who walk in this new creation. 
Right? So this is something completely new. He's not talking about something recycled. He's not talking about a group of people who have taken over promises given to another group of people. Something new. So them and the Israel of God. And so the, the, the them, I would take it as those, because he's using another term in here, those are the Gentile believers. The Israel of God, again, like I said, how I would see it is he's making a separation to those who says, yes, we are Israel, but yet they are farthest from God as possible, right? One day Israel will all be redeemed, right? They will be born again in one day. And Paul looking ahead in his mind to that, but there are those who are in Israel who are not of Israel, as it says in Romans 9. But um, the Israel of God, what is that referring to? I would refer to the Jewish believers um, that are now part of the church, but he's making that separation between the two. I hope nothing was confusing, but if there's anything that needs to be clarified, uh, I can try to answer it or if there's any comments on that. Absolutely. Um, we'll look at that in a second, but um, for the next question, but Romans, um, Romans, now I'm missing, I think it's Romans 9, but talking about Israel because they've been scattered and broken off, and then Gentiles have been grafted in. But again, it says, Paul says, he reminds you that while they have been broken off, is it 11? Sorry, it is 11. They, while they have been broken off, they're going to be grafted back in. They can be grafted back in, right? And so... Israel is not done through. through. Um, They are an active group. God still has a plan for them. Um, We'll briefly touch on that in the next question, but God is definitely far from done with them. So he's talking about two different groups, right? We don't want to mix the two. One is Israel, one is the church. And when he talks about the Israel of God, the Jew, oh, actually, I'd even touch on that, but Romans uh, 2.29, which in the same light as a similar example, talking about uh, in verse 27 says, and he who is physically uncircumcised and keeps law will not judge you through bringing this for context sake, for he will judge you having the letter of the law and the transgression, transgressor of the law, for he is not a Jew who is outwardly neither circumcision, but which is outwardly in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is inwardly, the circumcision which is of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter, and his praise is not from men, but from God. Okay, so again, talking about those two different things. While outwardly is nice, and it could fool different people, but inwardly, God looks at the heart, right? And so that's what God is concerned about. Yes, Tim. Say maybe some of you might not even realize what you know what this is or what's going on. This is not anything new, and my uncle touched a little bit about it. But um, one is that is Adolf Hitler, right? So there's been men throughout the over the human history, right, that have trying to eradicate certain groups, right? And one was uh, Adolf Hitler going against Israel. You can look at others, Stalin and stuff like that. But one what would would surprise you? Some of the things that that Adolf Hitler has written about you know, his views and how he saw ethnic Israel. Um, one person might surprise you that actually wrote, now he didn't enact some of this stuff, but he wrote similar verbiage to what Adolf Hitler, when you compare the two things about what they think about the Jews, very, very similar. That is Martin Luther. And that might surprise you because the man was a great as far as like 
Um, faith, you know, uh, salvation by faith alone. You know, no works involved in the breakaway from the Catholic Church. But this doctrine did come. I believe it comes from the Catholic Church. But anyway, we don't need to get too much into it. But it's a lot of these holdovers came over when these Protestants broke away and these men broke away from the Catholic Church and established, um, you know, other groups. But um, or I should say the Catholic uh, following. But um, a lot of this ideas of of Israel is bad and Israel needs to be eradicated. They're the ones that crucified the Lord Jesus and you know they put to death the Savior and the Crusades. You know, all these things come out and spring out of a worldview, right? The worldview and how we see things. And you say, well, that's nice. You know, I don't understand all that, but it does affect you, right? And if you don't effectively translate or interpret Scripture, I should say, um, and you follow certain things and they're, and they're maybe even... Uh, Diabolical and demon based, it will affect your life, right? You look at a man, yes. Another interesting component of the question Yeah, and 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 Joe brings out a good point and and you know, you might not have read that into the question. I just that's what I particularly thought that was the background of it. It really isn't um, it's a you know it's a great thing to think about anything that's put in the boxes you know we have questions about but there is a particular doctrine that's that's focused in on that verse about that and that's where that comes from about the church and Israel and this blending of it and anyway we want to make sure that we separate those two things and um, the Israel of God of course looking back at some of these things yes. Um, chapter 11 and verse 24 you're talking about? Well, there's some truth into what you're saying because I, I can't read Daniel and then think about what he's being expressly told, that prophecy was for Daniel, his people, and his city. I'm not part of that, right? And so there's certain things while I might be an observer of it and God's going to be doing it, I might not be a part of it, right? And so there are certain things when we come to Scripture that, you know, doesn't have to include me, doesn't have to include the church, right? And so um, we do have to discern certain things. Now, I'm not saying all of Matthew is for Jews, but um, when we come to certain things, because that's where this... You know these thoughts come from. Well, I can just apply anything, right? Well, For instance, so since we're already starting it, <laughs> that is the third question, actually. Matthew 24, uh, 24 it reads like this Matthew 24 29 to 31 specifically says that Christ will return after the tribulation to gather his elect as we look at the term elect defined in 1 Peter 1 2 2 6 5 13 Romans 8 33 Colossians 3 12 1 Timothy 2 10 and many other scriptures we see that the term is used for believers or rather Christians who make up the church therefore where does Scripture specifically say that Christ will come for his church 
will, co- will be coming before the tribulation to gather his church. So, again, another compounded question. Um, there's a lot of things assumed here. Um, I'll, for the first thing we want to look at, though, um, we'll look at the actual context again, make some uh, statements first, but then look exactly what it, I think what it's saying. But specifically in Matthew 24. So the first thing you'll notice, I think, in the question is, since we see the term for believers uh, are, and the other scriptures, we see the term is used, right? The term elect is used for Christians or believers to make up the church. Okay, is that a true statement? Well, um, obviously we know from certain, you can think of certain um, ports of scripture, one being uh, Ephesians 1.4, he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, so we should be blameless and holy in him in love, right? So our words of chosen, let's just look at this a little bit and get an idea. Does the elect always mean believers or the church? So the word actually is, now my Greek is terrible, but some people may, might be able to pronounce this, but eklago, which is the actual root word, eklagos, which is what we find in uh, Matthew 24, we find that about 23 or 24 times. And then another one is eklo, eklomai. Right, So each one is elect, chosen, chosen one. You can translate this word. So as we look at the New Testament, as we look at these different words, it refers to different times to the church. But in, in the whole of Scripture, does that stand true, right? Well, that's a little small. I can't believe that. Well, anyway, when we talk about chosen one, when we talk about God choosing, is it always referring to the church? Well, we already know, we heard a little bit about it. God has chosen Jacob for certain things, right? And to say that my Israel, here's a verse from, this is just one, there's several of them. Uh, you can look in the beginning of their history. Um, for the sake of, of my Jacob, my servant, Israel, my chosen one, I have cho- I've called you by name. I've given you a title of honor through you have not known me. And so there's our word, chosen one, right? They have been called out. But God also calls out certain individuals, uh, Jason, if you'll just advance it once. Abraham is also called an elect one, right? I have chosen him. This is when they're standing um, and they're in the land of Canaan and God is now having a conversation with almost, well, not with himself, but with another party. God is speaking out loud. And so that Abraham can hear it, and he says this. This is right before he goes down and judges Sodom. And he says, For I have chosen, I have elected him, that he might command his children and his household after to keep the way of the Lord, do righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken upon. So again, our word, not referring to the church. Psalms 89, a great, pass, a great chapter about why Israel is not done, but the promises enacted to David. My covenant my, uh, with my chosen, I have sworn to David my servant. David was chosen. Israel for, uh, Israel. Isaiah, the Lord Jesus Christ is even called the elect one, my chosen one. My, behold my servant in whom I uphold my chosen one, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to nations. These are just a few verses. There's many more. But in the New Testament, we find this also word used and this is in John 6 this is very interesting Jesus answered said did I not myself choose you the 12 and yet one of you is a devil now 
you could strongly say that the eleven, besides Judas, are part of the church. But that word is used there. And so when we come to that word, it, it doesn't necessarily mean, it does mean called out, right? But it means called out for something, for a purpose, for a work. doesn't necessarily mean you're called out and saved, right? We're going to stay away from that. Because Judas, we can say for sure, was not a believer, right? He was replaced ultimately. But that same word is used in John 6. He's chosen. He's elected. But yet, he is not part of the church. And then I open it up with that same word is used here. Is used also to refer to the church. Ephesians 4, uh, 1, 4. Just as he has chosen you before in the foundation of the world, uh, that we may be holy, blameless before him in love. And so... Whenever we come to the word elect, it doesn't refer to one group of people. That's like if we were in the supermarket and I say to Brother Ron, Ron, can you go pick me out a fruit? Ron happens to know that bananas are fruit. He grabs me a banana. Next week we go. I say, Ron, I need some more fruit. Can you pick me out a fruit? He looks around. doesn't see any bananas. He comes back to me. He says, oh, sorry, there's no more fruit. And I say, well, look, there's apples, oranges, grapes, whatever. There's many fruits, right? But... The idea is, is while uh, the church is elected and called out, it doesn't expressly mean that they're the only elect ones, right? Uh, there's several others that God has chosen himself, has called them out. So when we come across the term elect, we want to make sure that we understand what that means. It doesn't necessarily mean the church, uh, even though they are called out. So what exactly is going on in this particular chapter? Well, um, Joe has touched on a little bit of this, but... The background of some of this is that the, the religious groups have been silenced, right? They've come asking difficult questions. The Lord has pointed out um, their, their flaws and in, in, in just that they do not know the law, do not, you know, he answers certain questions about them. He starts exposing them, but he, he jumps then onto this teaching of the, old, uh, of the end times. And it's very important. What's the connection there, right? There's going to be a group of people that seem to know that they have the answers, right? They're going to lead, uh, lead people straight, but they're not, they're not the answer, right? The Christ is the answer. And so they want to know, well, what is this sign of your times? And, and, and how do we know when the end's about to come? When is it that you know, the Christ is going to come? Or when is it that you're going to come back and, or make, set up the, the kingdom and do away with evil? Well, he talks about 15. It says, when you see Joe mentioned it, the abomination of desolation, right? So there's some key terms straight from Daniel. But 29, it says this, immediately after the tribulation, those days the sun will be dark and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven. Great powers, the powers of heaven will be shaken. That's a quote from Isaiah 13:10. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and the tribes of earth will mourn and they will see the man, Son of Man coming in clouds in great power. Again, another quote from Daniel 7. The Lord Jesus also quotes this to the Sanhedrin, remember? They said, you know, they were about to cast him out. They said, we don't want anything to do with him as a, as, a, as, a, uh, as a nation as a whole, right, has rejected the Christ, right? Well, he says, well, you haven't seen me. This is not the last time you're going to see me. The next time you're going to see me, you're going to see me coming in, uh, with great power in the clouds, right? Referring back to Daniel. So he will come back. And it says this, that the Lord, it says that he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet and they will gather together his elect. That's our word, the chosen, from the four winds, from one end to the sky to the other. And so what exactly is going on here? Well, in the three minutes, we'll try to complete this. <laughs> but um, 
some passages for you to look at. Isaiah 27:13, Isaiah 43, uh, verse 5 to 7, Ezekiel 10, uh, verse 12, Ezekiel 17 and 21. Israel as a whole, right, has been disobedient. God has scattered them. He literally says he scattered them to the four winds. They're out in Egypt. They're out in these different places. But there's going to be a time where God's going to gather them once again. Right? He's going to gather them together. And then while he has scattered them, he's going to bring them back. And they're going to be established again as a nation, claiming the Messiah as, uh, or receiving the Messiah as who he is. Right? Not rejecting him again. And so how I would read this particular chapter, this would be Israel itself and their redemption and God coming back to redeem them. But the question says, what does, where is the teaching about the, tribulate, uh, the church, specifically saying that Christ is coming before the tribulation to gather his church? Now, um, I think I've, we mentioned this before, but some of the strongest things uh, that I would find, one being that the whole of Revelation, and, and, and including this, right, we're talking about things that are, we haven't seen yet. The sun darkened. The moon will not will not give its light. The stars of heaven will fall. Right there's there's this um, there's catastrophic things going on. It, this this whole time period, the tribulation. It says this in, in 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 Revelation six. It says, in the last two verses, it says, um, of of the people that are on earth, this this great tribulation that they fe- that they are facing, that God is pouring out. It says, fall on us. They say to the rocks and the mountains, fall on us and hide us from the presence of the one who sits on the throne from him, uh, from the wrath of the lamb, the day uh, for the great day of the wrath has come and who is able to stand. So this great time where there's tribulation and there's uh, elemental destruction and there's just wars and the great day of wrath has come, right? And the earth is going to experience it. Israel's going to go through it. And they're going to come out on the other side. But where's the church in all this? Well, I believe the church is not going to face that. And if that's considered the great day of his wrath, well, First Thessalonians 5, 9 says this, says, For God has not destined us for wrath, but for attaining salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so God has laid out the destiny of the church, right? And it is not going through wrath. It is to salvation. And you might say, well, that's, you know, that's great. But there's also pictures, I think, that strongly support this. Um, if you remember in your mind the story of Noah, right? There was a man who went through the flood and he was saved, right? But there was also a man who didn't experience the flood that was also saved, right? That's Enoch. He was translated before the flood even came back. So I, I would say, now why it doesn't expressly say that, but in support of that idea of uh, being translated out of it before facing wrath, I would think the church would be out of here before that. Um, as far as Scripture, the two that I looked at, that's um, defining what is that end times of the great day of His wrath and then seeing that the church has not destined us for wrath but for attaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. First Thessalonians 5, 9. hope I didn't go too fast. Is there any comments or questions? Yes. Sealed the 144,000? Right, and the great multitude of forces in the Lord's revelation 
Um, I would say that would be in that time. Um, those pe- particular are 12,000 from different tribes of Israel, ethnic Israel, right? They, the witness, um, I would say, would be in the sense of the church would be out of there, right? And so the earthly witness would be Israel again. And while there will be angels proclaiming the gospel at certain times, but those 144,000 to two witnesses, those are going to be God's, who God's going to use as his mouthpiece, right, during that time. Yes, Joe. Mm-hmm. He, st- he looked like he wanted to say something. <laughs> All, right. All right, well, it is a lot, and I'm, I had to rush at the end, but I wanted to make sure that we answered it instead of coming back to these questions. Um, we can have another discussion later if you like or put another question in the box. So let's just look to the Lord. Father, we just thank you for this night. We thank you for your word that it gives us clear direction. And, and Lord, sometimes we come across things and, that we don't know. But, Lord, we know that you can help us and that you give us guidance. Lord, we just thank you for the Lord Jesus who is the center and we have gathered to his name. We just pray that you keep us safe as we go home. In Lord Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.